Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. The hate hoax controversies. And unfortunately, I've got to say plural there, the controversies and make America great again. That's the subject of tonight's Point of View. Now, before I jump into tonight's topic, I do want to start with a big tip of the hat to the Chicago Police Superintendent, Eddie Johnson. He was amazing, incredible, outstanding, fantastic today at the Jesse Smollett press conference. We're going to have some of that for you here in just a moment. Here's where I really want to start tonight, and that is with this. We can bring this up, please. Yes, thank you very much. This happens to be a trigger for a lot of people right now across America. And I, let me just remind you, look, I know this is obvious stuff, but, I, but for how many people get triggered by this? This is a hat, a hat that says, make America great again. I mean, if you live in America, that should be a pretty basic concept, pretty simple idea to say, hey, I want to make America great again. And not just for, you know, white people, not just for black people, but for everybody, because we all know a high tide raises all ships. In fact, if you actually go and look at the metrics, the data, the information, you can see across the board that President Trump, you, me, all of us right now are doing things to make America great again for everybody, all of us. Black unemployment, lowest level ever. Hispanic unemployment, lowest level ever. Women unemployment, like lowest in 60-some years. So those are fantastic metrics to look at. And just like Rich Carlgaard said yesterday, on Point of View right here on the show, he said, hey, if our economy is growing at 3% in 2020, Trump wins another four years, hands down in his opinion. So things are going to be going very, very well, hopefully in 2020. They are right now. And what do people with Trump derangement syndrome do when we've got low unemployment, wages going up for the first time in a long time, and they do this, why? Because they're so thirsty for power. What they do is they go and attack. You just saw him here, the young man from Cummington High School. They go target high school kids, kids that are like a buck 15 soaking wet. And why do they do that? Because they are wearing a hat, again, that says, make America great again. It fits the narrative for the media to say, oh my gosh, look at the, see, there it is. Look at those hats. Let's go after those guys because that way we can make it sound like they're racist, bigots, xenophobes. You know, you can go on and on and on down the list. The media and Laura Logan from former CBS correspondent talked about this. They are so far left. When they were salivating when they saw these kind of stories. The Jesse Smollett story, many people salivating at that. And finally now, some people are going to be held responsible, i.e. the Washington Post. I'm sure you've heard that Nicholas Sandman, the gentleman you're seeing here from Covington uh, High School, they've got attorneys now. They're going to sue WAPO for $250 million. And that's just the start. CNN, NBC, many others are lined up for the next thing. But I, I want to bring the hat up. That's why I started with this tonight, because the media has done such a, I think, horrible job. They would say good job as creating the symbol, the meaning of what that hat they think it is. And I'll give you a prime example here. Another actor, this is a real beauty, uh, Alyssa Milano tweeted this out shortly after the Covington High School situation. She said, the red mega hat, I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud. The red mega hat, which we almost stands again for Make America Great Again, is the new white hood. That is the definition of hyperbole. Without white boys being able to empathize with other people, humanity will continue to destroy itself. Hashtag first thoughts when I wake up. Folks, that is the epitome of Trump derangement syndrome. Yet now we find out 
through investigations that these young men actually were probably the most restrained out of that whole situation in Washington, D.C. But do you think Alyssa Milano apologized for that tweet? Not even close. Not even close. So I want to get to now what's happening here with this Jesse Smollett situation. And just to be clear, I just, just want to set this context. Because, you know, we hear a lot about actors. Many people in our society, I don't know why, but we choose to put actors on a pedestal. If you really break it down, what does an actor do? They're professional liars. I mean, that is their gig. They lie professionally and get paid to do that, just to put some context in it. So I want to share with you what the uh, chief of police, the superintendent of Chicago PD, said earlier today at this Jesse Smollett press conference. And again, guy was epic, outstanding. Here he is. First, Smollett attempted to gain attention by sending a false letter that relied on racial, homophobic, and political language. When that didn't work, Smollett paid $3,500 to stage this attack and drag Chicago's reputation through the mud in the process. And why? This stunt was orchestrated by Smollett because he was dissatisfied with his salary. So he concocted a story about being attacked. But to put the national spotlight on Chicago for something that is both egregious and untrue is simply shameful. I'm also concerned about what this means moving forward for hate crimes. Now, of course, the Chicago Police Department will continue to investigate all reports of these types of incidents with the same amount of vigor that we did with this one. But my concern is that hate crimes will now publicly be met with a level of skepticism that previously didn't, didn't happen. Absolute justice would be an apology to this city that he smeared, um, admitting what he did, and then be man enough to, to offer what he should offer up in terms of all the resources that were put into this. Thank you all. Just in that little snippet there, there's so much to talk about. But I want to start with this, to have another black American man stand up and be so forthright, so honest, so authentic regarding going out and saying, hey, look, we had another black American man disparage our city. He now has made it tougher when other hate crimes come about because of this guy making this uh, whole hoax situation an issue. And to talk about, hey, this is what real justice would look like. Um, it's really just the tip of the iceberg, but God bless him for getting up there and saying and doing the right thing. I want to share with you what President Trump said earlier today. This is what he tweeted out. He said, at Jesse Smollett, what about, and this is very important, what about mega and the tens of millions of people you insulted with your racist and dangerous comments? And that is a big question, folks. I don't know how this could happen, but could Jesse Smollett be prosecuted for hate crime against people that want to go out there and be make America great again, people. Because remember, a big part of what he said in the story is, hey, this is mega country, right? Folks, as we go through into this 2020 situation, you look at things again, I, I would submit, you may disagree with this, love to know your point of view, President Trump is helping to raise the tide for all ships, meaning all Americans. It's the progressives that want to divide us into this identity politics about, are you a black American, a homosexual, or whatever, whatever it is. They want to try to put these little labels on you, and I don't understand 
why it's so difficult for us right now as a nation to focus on Team America. That's why I started with the hat. You've got make America great again. It doesn't say make black America great again. It doesn't say make white America. It says make America great again. We all know that a divided house cannot stand. So let's stop this stuff. I'm so happy that many of you tune into the show and say, hey, Chris, thanks for telling us the truth, what much of the mainstream media doesn't do. But let's focus on being on Team America as all of us in this country, not just a select few or breaking us into these subcategories. So that's tonight's point of view. Would love to know your point of view in the situation with Jesse Smollett and the impact that it's having on people that are uh, President Trump supporters. All right, earlier today, uh, Senator John Hoban was in Fargo. He had a roundtable regarding a lot of the postal delivery service issues that we've been having here locally, but also across the state. Had a lot of people in this room, so he and I sat down. We talked about what he got out of the meeting, what he's going to do to solve some of these issues. We talked about Senator Kevin Kramer dropping a letter today saying, hey, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is wasting American tax dollars. They are wasting time as they try to build this wall. So we got Senator Hoven's comments on that. Plus the national emergency, uh, Andrew McCabe wanted to institute the 25th Amendment and much, much more. All right, Senator, big conversation about this post office situation. Yeah. What was your greatest takeaway from today? You know, one thing that came up today is what they call informed delivery. So for anyone out there having trouble getting their mail, you can sign up for informed delivery. And then right on your cell phone, they'll track the mail you're supposed to get for that day. So you'll see what you're supposed to get. And if for any reason it doesn't show up, there's a number right there you hit and you contact you with the post office and you can find out the status. So that's a, an immediate response that I think can be very helpful. And then we talked about other steps as well, but that informed delivery is something post office needs to get the word out about it. And of course, you know, we're, that's why I'm talking about is if you're having trouble, sign up for informed delivery. So that's my question. What's been the issue? Has it been a person? I, we, we've got stories where a post delivery person won't go to the house because the dog's in the window or there's too much snow or so is it a personnel issue or what's what's the situation? Well personnel is a challenge right I mean we talked about how they're working all the time to hire more people they do need to hire more people um, so that's an ongoing challenge and something that they'll have to continue to work on and then that's exacerbated in the winter when you have tough weather and so I think that's why we've seen more uh, concerns expressed recently but we have to do this on a periodic basis to make sure that the post office is getting that input and they're taking steps to respond to it one of the things that jumped out to me is no chains on vehicles in north dakota what's yeah. going on so i didn't realize that but they said in north dakota they're not supposed to have chains on their vehicles so that's something we're going to check with the state legislators on i did not realize that you know growing up we use yeah, chains I actually have four-wheel drive pickup now, so I don't need it. But, you know, I, I didn't realize you couldn't put them on a, or, or, you know, if, if you needed them. So we have to check into that. I want to get your thoughts on this. This just came out. Uh, Senator Kevin Kramer put a letter out to the DHS Secretary, Kirsten Nielsen, essentially saying, hey, the United States Army Corps of Engineers is part of the swamp, if you will. I'm going to share with you some of the things in his letter. He said, hey, I've seen that the Corps consistently waste taxpayer dollars through high acquisition costs and unnecessary bureaucracy. I urge you not to subcontract the wall with the Corps. Instead, find a reputable and capable private contractor. Do you think the Corps is missing the mark on this project? Well, we work with the Corps on a lot of things. Sounds like something we need to check into. I haven't talked to Kevin about it, but I'm certainly going to. And I think any time we hit any kind of red tape in government, we got to try to cut through that. And we both know that happens in the case of the core specifically or this DHS issue. One, it sounds like we need to check into it. But two, remember, we have uh, Fisher Industries that's looking at 
I think they've got a great solution to build more wall, better wall, faster. That's the kind of thing that both the core and DHS need to be looking at. So let me give you some specific examples. So I guess first, do you think the core is intentionally slowing this project down because of lifelong bureaucrats that don't like Donald Trump? Well, I certainly hope not. Uh, I, I'm certainly hoping that's not the case, but uh, obviously based on his letter, sounds like something we need to at least check on, right? So here's some stats that I got. I don't know exactly where these are from because I got these from Scott Hennon, but total time from when the omnibus bill was signed to end 76 miles of the wall, we're talking 3.3 years. Is that an acceptable time frame for you? You know, we need, no, we need to keep moving on it. No question about it. I think some of the, well, I think some of the challenges may relate to things like eminent domain, landowner issues, environmental, and you're right, those things can and do take too long and we've got to find a way to work through them. So will you support Senator Kramer and say, hey, DHS, let's not have this go through the core, let's get it through a private contractor? Well, first I need to understand it, but yeah, I want, to, I want solutions, you bet. We need, to, we need to move it along, absolutely. All right, let's talk about the national emergency. Do you think President Trump has standing on good constitutional ground by declaring this and using appropriated money to build the wall? You know, I do. You and I talked about this before in an earlier interview, and I told you this was not going to be a one-step process. First, we had to get what we could in terms of border wall funding. That's about $1.4 billion. Second, he can repurpose monies from, for example, the Drug Interdiction Fund, um, the Department of Defense uh, Drug Fund, uh, uh, the Asset Forfeiture Fund, the DOD Drug Interdiction Fund. Those, you know, those monies, he can repurpose those funds without an emergency. That's a second step, if you will. That gets you up to about $4.5 billion, not too far from the 5.7 that he's looking for. And then the emergency declaration would actually use the MILCON funds like you're talking about. Undoubtedly, that will get challenged in court, but then that would get you up potentially to $8 billion. Do you think it stands in court? Do you think the courts uphold his national emergency? Well, we both know that that's probably going to start out in the Ninth Circuit, and they'll probably enjoin... Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, yes, because of the National Emergencies Act, right? Under the National Emergency Act, Congress provided that power. So people talk about the constitutional aspect. I'm a strong supporter of, of strict interpretation of the Constitution. But Congress passed a law that authorized the president to use those military construction funds under the National Emergencies Act. So let's say that we have a Democrat president, Bernie Sanders wins in 2020 or whenever, right? He declares climate change as a national emergency. That's going to be okay? No, because again, you have to look at what's being done here. For example, I support building a border uh, wall. We need a fence, a wall, whatever you want to call it. So I support it. The legal authority is there to do it. Now, if a future president, look, there have been, uh, what is it, 58 national emergencies declared, and there's 30 or 31 outstanding right now. I'd have to go and look. Some I would probably agree with, some I might not. In this case, we need to have a border barrier. It is part of our national security, so I support that. Now, if a president in the future uses that law for a purpose that I don't support, I would oppose it. Can you name one other national emergency, though, where a president used appropriated funds in a way that wasn't necessarily appropriated for? You know, I'd have to go back and look at them, but I, I'm sure they have used... Well, in 1982, there was additional legislation passed specifically authorizing the president to repurpose military construction funds. 
All right, you know this joint resolution is going to come over to the House, to the Senate. Will you vote for this joint resolution of refusal and to deny this national emergency? Or will you vote to say, hey, you know what, I think the president has these powers and vote against this uh, joint resolution of refusal? No, no I, I'll support more funding for the wall. I'll support what the president's trying to do is to get money for the border barrier. And what I would like is for Congress to appropriate it for him. That, that's my first choice. But I, yes, I'm going to support the emergency declaration. I think it is an emergency. We do need a border barrier and we need funding for it. So I'm trying to make sure I'm clear on your answer because, you know, if you say for or against, it depends how the resolution comes. It does get complicated. But I support more funding for the, uh, the border barrier. Is, do you so you support the president having these yes. kind of powers, executive powers. Mm -hmm. It seems though like Congress continues to sort of just kick their powers to the side and let the courts and the president figure this out. Your response to that? Well, just what I said before, remember, under the National Emergencies Act, he has the authority, and that was uh, added to in the 82 Act, like we've talked about. So, um, yeah, I think we have to be careful about the checks and balances. But in this case, I think the authority is there. And again, we need a border barrier. It's part of national security. So I support trying to get that done. All right, we talked about the Army Corps of Engineers, bureaucrats possibly trying to stop President Trump's agenda. I got to get your reaction to Andy McCabe suggesting that the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was going to implement the 25th Amendment to remove President Trump. Yeah, and clearly that needs to be looked into. That's what Lindsey Graham has said he's going to do with the Judiciary Committee. That kind of thing should not be happening. We need full transparency. That is part of the checks and balances that we're talking about. And, you know, again, no matter who's... What does that say to you? That you had a bunch of that, unelected that bureaucrats. That's a, that, that's a concern that has to be addressed and has to be looked into. Absolutely. So do you do you feel, because I, when I reached out to you when Mueller was appointed, you're like, hey, Chris, I support this. Do you do you still feel like maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have supported Mueller when this first came up, Now knowing what you know now? Well, first we've got a new attorney general, um, Bill Barrow, who looks, uh, from what I've seen, he knows Mueller. And I am hopeful that the Mueller investigation will come out and show, you know, what was done right, what was done wrong. In terms, there hasn't been any indication of collusion. But if FBI or anyone else was taking these kind of steps, that should be part of what's in the report. At the end of the day, people need to know what's going on. We need to know that whether it's McCabe or anyone else, they were doing things the right way and protecting civil liberties and and obviously following their responsibility to uphold the law. Do you think there needs to be changes to the FISA court situation? You know, I, again, this is one you and I have talked about before. I think there needs to be improvements made so that people know their civil liberties are protected. I think that's part of what we're seeing and what we're talking about here. So back in the day, you had Brennan, as of late, using the word treason with President Trump regarding Russia. Now President Trump suggesting that what Andy McCabe and Ron Rosenstein did was treasonous. Do you agree with that? I think we need to find out what he did. I'm concerned <laughs> that what he did was not done right. And so we got to look into it, find out. I'm going to be careful what terms I use. But yes, I'm very concerned about it. So what should Bill Barr do with all this? Look into it and be have as much transparency as possible so the public knows. And then we can decide, determine what appropriate steps should be taken. What's a better way, though, to oversee these investigators? Like, no, there, there's no one to investigate the investigators. And that's why I think a lot of Americans right now are going, these guys, could, if they're doing this to the President of the United States, what does that mean for me sitting at home? The new attorney general needs to do that. He has experience from before as an attorney general. I think he has, you know, gravitas, strength. 
I think he's somebody who's credible, who can say, okay, we're going to look at these things and we're going to report to the public on it. Also, Congress has an oversight role. Like I said, uh, Lindsey Graham and the judiciary, their responsibility and oversight is to have hearings on that. And the more that, that can be transparent, not only helps in terms of the public knowing, but answering your questions about what steps should be taken. What steps should be taken will be determined by the information that's provided from those oversight hearings. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, you bet.